Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Do you need heavy equipment or farm equipment? Look no further than Southern Equipment and Parts in Laurel. We have a wide selection of new and used equipment from many top brands. We also offer parts, service, and rentals. Whether you're a contractor, farmer, or just need help around the house, we have what you need. Southern Equipment is your one-stop shop for all farm and heavy equipment. Visit us at 5237 Highway 84 West and southernequipparts.com or call 601-651-4555. Or free record on my count. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, roll A, fade up on A. Southern Miss to the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Eagle Hour. We're sure glad you're with us. Bob Getty and Luke Johnson from the First Bank Studios in Laurel and uh, Hattiesburg. Beautiful downtown Laurel and Hattiesburg. Always good to have you join us uh, each and every day, whether you're listening online or one of our affiliates we're just glad you're part of the program. Opening segment today sponsored by Dickie's Barbecue Pit. Our buddies right next to the mall here in Hattiesburg on 15th Street in Laurel in a neighborhood near you, no doubt. Uh, Dickie's serves delicious food seven days a week. They serve it up right here in Hattiesburg in their dining room. You can do the drive through You can enjoy take-home. Uh, but it's always going to be good. It's always going to be delicious. And we hope that you'll support Dickie's Barbecue. Rashad Birds, a former Southern Miss football player. He's going to be joining us uh, later in the show, talk about his career and uh, football. Uh, but first, it's Thursday. We're back in our routine now. We've got Patrick McGee, the professor from the Biloxi Sun-Herald on the show. And Patrick, I- I'm the bad guy here on the show here lately. I- I'm the pessimist. But I, I have to ask you this. I'm, I'm stunned today when I see the-, the COVID numbers for Mississippi, the highest ever one-day total Highest number of hospitalizations, highest number of ICUs, highest number of people on ventilators, unfortunately. And the numbers just keep going up, up, up. And yet there's still a lot of talk and a lot of effort to save high school and junior college football. Is it going to be, in the end, Patrick, in vain? Yeah, I would say odds are that it's it's going to be difficult. Uh, I think high schools are predetermined. Uh, to play this year, uh, I don't know. You know, at this point, I would think they're probably playing in empty stadiums. But you know, on the on the high school, junior college, and college level, it's just really tough to play under these conditions uh, when you don't have the resources or really the ability to isolate uh, these athletes and help them better kind of navigate a pandemic. Uh, you, you see, at the professional level, they're able to put them in a bubble, uh, is what they're calling it. Uh, at, at the college level, high school level, junior college, it's just really hard to do that. I mean, it's possible, I suppose, uh, but you know, you would just have to keep your players basically in one large dorm, and uh, they'd have to take all online classes, uh, only really kind of net, you know, travel to the practice facilities and and come back. Um, so yeah, it's just really, really hard uh, to do this. Each you know, each level has its own challenge to it high school, junior college, and, 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 you know, major college football. It's all a different challenge, and nobody's ever really had to go through this. So it just makes it a really, really 
impossible situation for for everybody. Right. We'll we'll talk about Southern Miss here in a bit. Yesterday, though, uh, Luke and I had an interesting conversation with a representative of Jones College, and you know the national, as you know, the National uh, Junior College Athletic Association has voted to move football back until the spring. Mississippi abstained from that vote, and right now Mississippi's holding out. They they don't want to do that. They say it's impossible to play junior college football in the fall. What do you say? Yeah, well, in the spring, yeah, I mean, it's in the spring. Uh, yes, fall. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a different posture among the different junior colleges. I understand why it's really, really difficult uh, for them to play a season in the spring, uh, but you know. It's this is a unique situation, and I, you know, I've talked to people at other junior colleges, and, and you know that it, it feels like it's kind of delaying the inevitable, in that football won't you know be able to happen in the fall. Now I know there's other people that are more optimistic that they could uh, get some type of schedule in for on the junior college level, uh, but it's going to be really, you know it's going to be just as tough there as it is at any major college. Uh, it's it's just going to be really difficult. Maybe you can't put these JUCO, JUCO guys in somewhat of a bubble and try to play football. Uh, maybe that's even more possible in a small junior college town on a small you know junior college campus. Maybe that's possible. Uh, but it's just really difficult and really complicated, and it requires a lot of money in terms of testing and everything else. So uh, it's really a tax on any high school, junior college, or uh, FCS or Group of Five program if you don't really have uh, a big lump sum of money to really put into to, to testing your athletes and making sure they're they're healthy enough to get out there, or you know, to av- avoid as- asymptomatic athletes from from transmitting to their teammates. Luke Johnson, this is beginning to get depressing. It's depressing, but in some ways, and I'm not throwing you two under the bus, it's depressing if you allow yourselves to do it. The one key fact missing in both of your responses is the United States is testing more people every day than any other country in the world. Now, that's the reason we have so many cases. Kevin Maloney brought up a great point yesterday. Again, I'm not well, for, I, just, I, I, don't I mean, want, it, the, ex, the experts kind of, you know, if you talk to the state health officer of Mississippi, Thomas Dobbs, he says, you know specifically that the, the the rise in cases is the result of sick people seeking treatment. They're not really testing many asymptomatic people. So, uh, I, I mean, I don't. Yeah, we're testing more because we have more cases right now than anywhere else. If you add up, you know, per, but per capita, if you go back, we weren't testing as much. But now we're 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 kind of testing so much because there are so many cases. So at least that's the what the experts point. Uh, in Mississippi and yes, I was. I'm speaking generally about the United States of America. To your point, specifically in Mississippi, Dr. Dobbs did say that last week. So what I was about to say was, I'm not for high school kids asymptomatic being super spreaders. I get that. But here's the thing. If you're going to start school back on time, your argument towards high school kids being super spreaders is null and void. And I'm, I'm not talking about your Bob, your... Mm-hmm. Patrick, I'm talking about in general. If the Mississippi Department of Education is going to throw kids in a classroom together, even if they spread them out some, they can become super spreaders like that. So I think sports rises and falls on whether or not school's in session. And and again, right. yeah, yeah. I, I get it. They're, they're, they're students, and I get it. That's their main goal for being there. At the same token, I think there's a component that people are overlooking at. If sports come back in our communities in some form or fashion, strictly uh, limited, obviously, to capacity, to fans and all that, 
I think it will do such a better job of allowing our communities to a little be a little more sane than we have been in the last four or five months. No, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think the, the idea that kids can be put back in school at this point is is even more of a, a stretch than, than kids can play football. I don't disagree with you there at all. Uh, I mean, they pushed back the season here recently just because uh, they wanted to – the main reason is they wanted to give a couple of weeks to see how uh, uh, school goes those first two weeks. Uh, are there outbreaks in various schools, and is it going to be – uh, a reasonable possibility are they even going to be in school at that point so i think the reason right. i pushed back was mainly to see how things respond the first two or three weeks and i i i've even i even know in schools here in uh, louisiana here in the next week or so we're going to hear about major school districts that are going to be going to to to, to distance learning so yeah. you know yeah and- they're trying to get these kids back into school and for good reason i mean there is reason to do that but it, it's We'll find out the next two, three, you know, four weeks if it's if it's really a reasonable thing to do. And and to the MHSAA's point, Don Hitton did say when the announcement came Tuesday that all this was still in motion. Obviously, if if uh, it becomes even worse than it is now, they're willing to pull that back. But you wrote about this, Patrick, earlier this week. How big of it, not on a COVID front, but to the point I made on a Mississippi community, you know, average Joe, average Jane every day, when they're getting news that there's going to be high school sports of, in some sort, I mean, that's got to be able to pick uh, our communities up just a little bit, don't you think? Yeah, and really, yeah, I mean, it, the goal is to, to try to make this happen. And, and figure out a way to make it a, a, a reasonable thing to happen. But I guess really the, the main obstacle is, you know, these kids at this age, you don't really see them suffering the same symptoms as the older groups do. But it's still, if they test positive or something like that, they've got a quarantine regardless of what their symptoms are. So uh, how often do you test these kids and stuff like that? Uh, you know, it, it'll be a good day whenever sports can get back to, to uh, uh, being normal. Uh, it'll be great for these communities, uh, but you also don't want people to be disheartened whenever you get started and all of a sudden you know, one-third of a team is, is dealing with this and can't take the field. Right. That makes it really difficult. So, yeah, I mean, if they can make this happen, they'll make it happen. Uh, I think, you know, it'll be really hard to test on the high school level, and I think these kids could really go throughout a season even to have you know, multiple players who have the, the virus, and they could go through and play. But uh, it just—it's going to matter from community to community and high school to high school on on how they change this. There won't be some kind of really cross the board way they're handling it. Real quick, Patrick, we're about to hit a break. I know you're doing a lot of news coverage right now as well as sports coverage. Any indication that uh, more and more people in the state are are heeding the warnings and the pleas of uh, the state health officials about mass distancing that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I, I've, from everything I've heard here lately is that more people are wearing masks in community and in, in the community, and that's a good sign. I think that's really become a message. We, you know, if we if we want to keep open, stay open, economy wise, uh, people are going to have to wear masks. I think more people are doing it. All right. All right. When we come back, we'll turn our attention to Southern Miss and college athletics. Some new news today about some other conference activity, and uh, interested to get. Patrick's take on where he thinks Conference USA stands in all of this. Eagle Hour with Patrick McGee continues right after the break.
Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Welcome back. We've got Patrick McGee from the Biloxi Sun Herald with us today. Real quick reminder, I want to tell you about something new. D1 Training Facility in Hattiesburg is hosting a back-to-school combine. That'll be Saturday, July 25th at 9 a.m. It's 40 bucks. That includes a T-shirt. You can register by calling 601-207-9997. Uh, they'll be doing all sorts of uh, athletic tests, 40-yard dash, pro agility, uh, broad jump, vertical jump. So a combine, a back-to-school combine for area athletes at D1 in Hattiesburg. Also want to thank Campus Bookmark, campusbookmark.net, for their sponsorship of the Eagle Hour. Uh, they're open now. You can shop inside their facility on Hardy Street. You can order merchandise at campusbookmark.net, and uh, we hope that you'll do that. All right, Patrick, let's turn our attention uh, to the to the Golden Eagles. Uh, as of this morning, I, I read where the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference, that's a Division II conference, has canceled all fall sports. Middle Atlantic Conference has announced conference games only. Uh, the Centennial Conference, that's a D3 conference, canceling all fall sports. The Big Sky Conference commissioner yesterday says they're 50-50 on fall sports. And I think it's fair to say that, that a lot of people are waiting now to see what the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 does. Uh, my question is, what would you anticipate from those conferences? And if how do you think all of this will eventually affect CUSA? Well, I, I think, I don't know, at MEAC, uh, the historically black uh, conference that usually matches up the SWAC, they they cancel all fall sports, I think, today. Correct. Uh, that's so right. that's yes. uh, one, one more step. So it's, uh, it's, it's you know, the lower level, you see things trending uh, in, a, in the wrong direction in terms of getting competition rolling this fall. Uh, the Power Five obviously have, have an idea that they can go all-conference. The SEC may uh, diverge and do something a little differently. Maybe they'll have a smaller schedule. Uh, but I, when I read something that you know some of these schools, uh, or every, each school has some conference games that they want to make happen, or excuse me, non-conference games that they want to make happen, uh, maybe they don't go with the full conference slate. So the SEC may do things a little bit differently, uh, but obviously it's, you know, they're trying to figure out how to make things happen uh, honestly, I mean, uh, the Auburn Southern Miss game, that should be, a, you know, if comparative to some of these other non conference games, it would be a game that would be relatively easy to uh, make happen just because it's a bus trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, yeah, it's the SEC. I'm not sure where they're going with this. I think they may do things a little bit differently than, say, the Pac 12, the Big Ten, uh, some of these other conferences. So that when, we all know the SEC kind of sees itself differently. So it wouldn't surprise me if they did things different. Uh, but, you know, if I'm the you know group of five, uh, and and you rely so heavily you know heavily on the you know the, the ticket sales and attendance uh, to to generate revenue, uh, you know I, I'm of the thought that you know here in the next few weeks maybe you don't just decide as a group that it's not worth it and let's just all try to play in the spring and maybe we can play even uh, more you know uh, full schedules than say these power conferences are here in the fall. Uh, I think eventually, I think, you know, like we've talked about, the chances of football this fall are decreasing by the, the week. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's if for the group of five to go forward with, say, like an all-conference schedule like Conference USA, uh, and, you're, and you're having a limited attendance, the revenue generated would be pretty, uh, pretty pitiful compared to what you're used to. So if maybe the group of five can find a way to make it happen in the spring where they can get bigger crowds, uh, I think that's something they should probably look at. 
Now, Luke pointed out earlier on the show earlier this week, maybe last week, that Southern Miss stands to make $1.8 million by going to Auburn. So let me ask you this question. What if the SEC comes out with a plan that we're going to play our games, but we're going to play in front of uh, 50% capacity stadiums? So assume, and this is hypothetical, but, but if that were to happen, would schools like Auburn still guarantee that same amount of money to non-conference schools if their gate was reduced by 50%? Uh, I, I think you would probably see some talks between the schools. I mean, it, it would be pretty difficult for the group of five schools to really just say, no, we're going to stick to that number uh, when in the future you want to schedule games with these teams. Uh, I know Southern Miss women play Auburn in the future. Uh, maybe they could just say, well, we'll just sweeten the pot a little bit next time we come to town and we can kind of uh, uh, cut down on the on the number this time around. So I think you know you, you would see some flexibility. Maybe there would be some. No, we we're not going to rework that. Uh, but yeah, I you know I, I I would think Southern Miss some of these schools would would kind of come come to meet them at halfway or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I think it would be the f- a fair thing to do. Luke, eight hundred thousand dollars to play Auburn would be better than no money, right? It would be. I don't think we would come down. I don't think they could come down that much because there's, there's got to be a buyout clause, and the buyout's got to be pretty significant to make it worth the while not for the game to take place. I was looking at Auburn's schedule. Pat Forday and Ross Dellinger wrote an article um, that basically suggested the, the SEC might go to a 10-game schedule, eight conference, two non-conference. Auburn's uh, September 5th date against Alcorn you would think would probably be scrapped. There's no way they're scrapping September 12th against North Carolina in Atlanta. It would either be Southern Miss if they went to that. Um, they, they actually play UMass, which is interesting because UMass is an independent. But they play UMass the week before they play LSU. So my thinking is if the SEC went to a two non-conference schedules that they would scrap Alcorn and UMass, giving themselves a, a bye week to play for LSU, in, in that case you would think Southern Miss would be the other team um, if they if they kept two non-conference games. Patrick, what's your take on on the independent situation with with Liberty on conference or on Southern Miss's schedule? You would think Liberty's if, if uh, conferences go to non or conference only schedule at least in the Power Five, you would think that Group of Five and Independents are going to keep every game they can on the schedule. Yeah, the independents are, are really, really, really in a tough spot. At this point, they're probably all thinking, I hope everybody moves it to the spring. Uh, because they're, you know, the BYUs, the UMasses, the Liberties, uh, it's going to be a pretty impossible situation to really kind of maintain a, uh, a, you know, anything resembling a, a full schedule this year. So, uh, the independents are in the toughest spot. You know, I don't really feel bad for Liberty because they have the finances to survive something like this, but, uh, New Mexico State, uh, uh, UMass, uh, some schools like that. You know, BYU. Uh, BYU's going. BYU's going to be okay, uh, but Mexico State, which is already just kind of uh, barely getting along at this point, it would just be a really. <laughs> UConn's got terrible financial problems right now, uh, so some of these schools are uh, independents are really going to be hurting uh, coming out of this. I think. Um, a, a couple more things before we get to uh, before we have to let you go because we hit commercial break. We were talking during the uh, commercial break. Tim uh, Jones, uh, Southern Miss wide receiver, mm-hmm. named to the Blitnikoff. Uh, you're you feel really good about his professional chances, and he may be a guy that that really emerges as uh, the go-to receiver this year, uh, possession receiver for the Golden Eagles. 
Yeah, and, and, and you know, I think he's got. We've seen him go deep a few times. I think West Kentucky. Uh, he, he had, a, I think, it was what sixty, seventy yard touchdown. Uh, the first touchdown he had was a fifty plus yarder against Rice. He's not just the the kind of uh, you know eke out the yardage through the middle as a slot guy. He's got good hands and he's strong and he's got good speed. It's not top end speed, uh, but it's good enough speed to play as a pro football player. So I think Tim Jones is very much a refined uh, player going into his senior season. He, he's got, uh, he's going to be one of the better receivers in the conference. I'm pretty confident of that. And I, I see Abraham or whoever the quarterback going to him pretty pretty often this season. They're going to really rely on Tim Jones just because you don't have a Quez Watkins on the outside. Go ahead, Luke. I'm sorry. A um, cu- couple more things um, on, on that front. Uh, the wide receiver position. Is this a case where we see three of the four guys or two of the four guys being uh, immediately plug and play? I mean, you would think Jalen Adams is going to start out there, but I mean, you got Brownlee coming in, you got Dequan Bailey Brown, um, you got the uh, the kid from Colin. I just I just feel like I mean the the wide receiver core may even be like a hockey line. I mean, there is just so much talent. It's JUCO. You get them for two years, you better play them from day one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're going to hit the field, especially Brownlee and, uh, like I said, the Colin and Bailey Brown. The more you look at him, you're like, wow, that's a that sounds like another Jalen Adams type, you know. Uh, it's really a group that looks like a bunch of guys that can really come in and contribute. Sometimes the junior and college guys don't quite translate, but there's no reason to believe these guys aren't going to do it. Uh, I, I think they've really got a good group of receivers, and and uh, I, I you know you, you miss out on Quez Watkins, but any one of these JUCO guys can really step up. And be that number one or number two guy. So uh, overall, receivers wise, they're going to be really good. Uh, you know, and if somebody kind, of, you, you may see a JUCO guy, the, you know, the Hines uh, transfer uh, step up at running back. So we we all know how heavy they went on junior college at this time around. That those those uh, starting 11s on both sides are going to be full up with JUCO guys. Luke, what is a hockey line? <laughs> well, you've got you got your first line is five guys, and uh-huh. then they do the second line. So just mass substitution. You bring five new guys in, just over. See, this is why we have again. him on the show, Patrick, because he's just a you know he's just a, a, a vessel of knowledge. Bob, Bob, as as big as a sport of hockey is in the state of Mississippi, I'm pretty sure most of our listening audience knows what a hockey line is. I'm Not sure you're you right. Bus, I'm sure just, you're right. Yeah, always a pleasure, Patrick. We appreciate you, buddy. All right. Thanks, guys. Patrick McGee, everybody, from the Biloxi Sun-Herald. You're right. Hockey's big, big. Uh, Yeah. Um, It is. I've got a couple jerseys. I know. We'll be back. Southern Miss to the top. 
thanks to Patrick McGee for coming on the first two segments with us on the Eagle Hour Thursday edition. Thank you for joining me and Bob from the First Bank Studios in Hattiesburg and beautiful downtown Laurel. If uh, we, we mentioned a kid uh, in the last segment, Dequan Bailey Brown, he's a uh, be a JUCO. Uh, wide receiver coming into play, Southern Miss. If you just want your fill of entertainment for the day, go on his Twitter account and watch him running routes uh, out in different fields. The sound effects are, are probably the best. Anyway, real intense, and I'm excited about him probably playing slot uh, for the Golden Eagles. Third segment of the Eagle Hour brought to you every day by 4th Street Bar and Grill, located just across Highway 49 on 4th Street in Hattiesburg from the University of Southern Mississippi. And as always, you can swing by and get that 895 daily lunch. Check out their Facebook page to find out what they're serving today. 4th Street Bar and Grill, proud sponsor of the Eagle Hour. Continue uh, talking some Southern Miss football. Rashad Bird was a f- uh, four-year letterman for the Golden Eagles playing defensive end out of Meridian, Mississippi. And Rashad joins us now. How's your Thursday, sir? Hey, my Thursday, great. I'm just finishing up my practice. Well, that's good. Good stuff, man. Thanks so much for coming on today. We were joking uh, because when Bob looks out uh, from his window in Hattiesburg studio, he can see a stadium of a team that you played quite often. And uh, the, the banter back and forth between Meridian High and Oak Grove High School, not only Oak Grove, but, man, how competitive was that division in 6A football when you played high school? You know, when I was coming up and everyone was saying yeah. – uh, it was the SEC, and and I didn't quite understand what they were saying until I really started tuning in. And I'm like, you know, this division is really, really tough. It, it, it was quite competitive from the bottom up to the top. It it really was. I mean, you, you look at some of the the teams and and the athletes and and where they went. You, uh, of course, one of those guys that went to play you know, Division One. Was Southern Miss on your radar? Was the the hop down Interstate Fifty Nine? Was that something you planned to do? How, how did you get to Hattiesburg from Meridian? So Southern Miss was always uh, one of my top teams, you know, and I, I try to hold my car tight to my chest. But uh, I think I knew that I was going to go to Southern Miss the the day that they offered me. Um, obviously, just like every other kid, I wanted to see what else was out there and do some exploring to make sure because it was a, a big choice in my life. Uh, you know, I used to visit Southern Miss because, like you said, it's a skip and a hop down the street for me. And so I used to go visit a lot, and it was just something about Southern Miss that made me comfortable. It was something about it that just made me feel like I was still at home, and I knew that's where I wanted to spend my time. Mm-hmm. Isn't a big part of that too, Alton Rashad, uh, with uh, young men like you that choose to that choose to stay close to home. It gives you it gives your family uh, access to see you play, and and I, I would think having your family a part of your college experience was was important. That 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 was also a big decision for me as well. Uh, my mother, she was huge into sports and. So even in my high school days, she used to, before every game, she used to listen to the radio that following week. And, you know, they would give some type of quote or statement. And she would get her shirts made for the games and wear those quotes (laughs) on her shirts and everything. So for me, having her to be able to come to every game, you know, it was very important. Right. I understand that. We don't ask a lot of players this, but uh, you played here for four years. Was was there a team or, or maybe a couple of teams that 
maybe it was just a little more exciting when you played them. Maybe you got just a little more geared up when you played a UAB, or, or, or were they all the same to you? Uh, for me, so I again, I played at Meridian High, and we had a lot of great players. The, the, the team that I was always geared up to play were your marshals. We had one of our offensive line to play there, uh, East Carolina. We had another offensive lineman play there. And, you know, he's actually one of my best friends. His name's Joseph Harper. And I always told him if, you know, we played middle school football in, in different areas. Um, and he, he blindsided me one time. And they put that in a paper. And I told him, whenever I get an opportunity to get you back, <laughs> I'm going to get you back. And so anytime we played East Carolina, I was always locked in. Anytime we played Marshall, I was always locked in. Um, both those guys were good friends of mine, and I can still remember to this day both of them giving me one of those cheap shots in a practice. And I always wanted to get them back, so I was always locked in the game and ready to take my opportunities. Well, here's the question. Did you get that opportunity? Uh, I did not get Brian Leggett back at Marshall, but I did get <laughs> T.J. Harper back. <laughs> Uh, might have cost us 15 yards. <laughs> might have. <laughs> I got him back. It was worth it, though, right? It was worth <laughs> it 15 was, yards, It right? was on an interception, and the only person I was looking to go get was 73. <laughs> <laughs> Luke? <laughs> I had to take That's my opportunity. Shot. Yeah, so you got to play for two uh, head coaches, Jeff Bauer and his coaching staff. I just missed you by one year. My senior year was 05, so uh, some of those guys you played with were underclassmen when when I was there. Um, The the biggest difference other than Red Bull between Jeff Bauer and Larry Fedora was? Uh, So Jeff Bauer, you know, he was a great coach, and he was very traditional in the sense of, how football should be played. And and there's nothing wrong with that because, um, and and under Fedora, it was a little bit looser, you know, um, under coach Bowers, um, I needed to be bigger. You know, we were playing a traditional smash mouth type football, people running power and counter at you. And he wanted you to be able to have the weight to be able to sustain in those games. Whereas, as Coach Fedora was getting in, that's when the spread offense and the hurry-up offense was getting more prevalent. So for me, uh, from my redshirt sophomore year or my redshirt freshman year to my redshirt sophomore year, I went from about 225 to 265. And then wow. that's when Fedora came in and they said, hey, we need you to get to – 245 so <laughs> that was um, great right <laughs> that was a fun spring for me it was a lot of salmon and and rice and you know a lot of healthy eating for me there um so you know it's just it's a two different styles fedora wanted you to play fast he wanted you to be loose um and, and for jeff bowers uh it was more traditional uh we're gonna line up uh and the bigger man is gonna win the bigger stronger guy is gonna win what do you like better? Uh, I'll be honest. Um, no offense to Coach Bowers. I love him. Um, I, I, I liked Fedora's system because, A, I didn't have to carry so much weight. Um, mm-hmm. B, it, you know, it allowed me to move around a little bit and make some plays. Right, right. Luke? Um, Rashad, you uh, you had the privilege of being a part, of course, your, your true freshman year. Uh, 
Southern Miss played for the conference uh, championship. Uh, but five straight bowl games, and that's something I didn't. We didn't go my uh, true freshman year in '01, and then we went to four straight. But um, you guys, the Papa John's Bowl, um, that was Coach Bauer's last game, the GMAC Bowl in Mobile, New Orleans twice, and then you finished your college career playing in a baseball stadium down in Tampa Bay. Any one of those uh, bowl games uh, ring ring out to you the most, which was your favorite? Uh, uh, and I'm sure if you talk to a lot of other players, it would have to be the uh, New Orleans Bowls when we played Troy. Um, Troy was having a good year. Um, they, uh, if I can't remember, they took LSU to the wire or they beat LSU in, in a close game. Um, so, you know, and, and they were very talented. And for us, like you said, we played in five straight bowl game. And so for us, it was about tradition. And I think we started that season off and it was rough. And we were like, hey, we need to win our next six games. And just to get to a bowl game, and then we need to win that bowl game to become or to have that winning season. And that Troy game came down to a Mike McGee block in overtime on a field goal that won the game for us. It was a very back-and-forth game. They jumped out to a 14-0 lead. Um, DeAndre, one of our best receivers, um, broke his leg to non-contact injury. And, you know, the cars were at that point against us. And it was one of those games where we just fought our tails off and fought our tails off. And, uh, we were able to come back and win that game in overtime. Oh. Rashad, when we first got you on the phone, you said you had just finished your practice. Let our listeners know what you're doing these days. Right now I'm living in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I'm coaching high school football up here. Oh. Um, hoping to very soon move up to the collegiate level. But mm-hmm. right now uh, got a bunch of young men who – are not used to winning right now, and we're getting them on that right track. And I'm coaching high school football at a school called Van Horn High School well, good in for Kansas you. City, Missouri. Good yeah. for you. Y'all are optimistic that you'll be able to play your season out like normal? <laughs> Trying to be as op- optimistic as anybody else, I would say. Uh, right. We're preparing as if we're going to have a season in the next three weeks or four weeks, and we're prepared to also – you know, move that season to the spring if right. that was to happen. Spreading the Golden Eagle word up there in Missouri, we hope. Always, and I'm always talking about Southern Miss football. I'm going to always, and I'm going to continue to talk about it up here. Well, that's a good thing, Get man. Patrick Mahomes to uh, to, to build y'all an indoor <laughs> with that new $500 million contract. Hey, look, that would be awesome there. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be lunch money for Patrick Mahomes, right? <laughs> right. Hey, Rashad, we appreciate it, man. Best of luck to you. Thanks for your time, and uh, glad to see you're doing so well. Hey, thank you for having me. You guys have a blessed day. Thank you. Rashad Bird, everybody. Former Golden Eagle and now a high school football coach. Always good to hear. Luke and I will wrap up this edition of the Eagle Hour after this. Tuned in to the Eagle Hour. The Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. Great conversation with Rashad Boyd, former Southern Miss defensive end, now coaching football up in Kansas City, Missouri. Appreciate Rashad 
for uh, stopping by on the Eagle Hour. A couple news and notes. Uh, Southern Miss senior distance runner Reagan McGee, who uh, I, I couldn't do what she does. Distance and running, two things that are not up my uh, profile and resume, I should say. Reagan uh, hails from Past Christian High School in Past Christian, Mississippi. She is has been nominated for the 2020 NCAA Woman of the Year Award, announced uh, this week, heavily evolved in the Student Athletic Advisory Committee, as well as uh, numerous charity uh, opportunities throughout Hattiesburg, Senior cross-country Reagan McGee. Hopefully, I uh, wish her all the best. That would be cool if the uh, NCAA Woman of the Year from Southern Miss. As we mentioned before, Southern Miss wide receiver Tim Jones uh, announced this week to be a member of the 2020 Bolitnikoff Award preseason watch list. That, of course, uh, every year given out by the Tallas- Tallahassee Quarterback Club Foundation. They're the ones that created the Blitnikoff. Uh, Tim Jones last year led Southern Miss with 73 catches for 902 yards and three touchdowns. A guy that uh, Bob Patrick McGee thinks can can play professionally. He's got deceptive speed. And, and the biggest thing with him, I remember coming into last year, how big he got and how when, when you're dealing with a wide receiver, uh, when when secondary guys know they got to bring you know a buddy to to bring you down that always bodes well and so expect uh, Tim Jones to be the thunder to the lightning of Jalen Adams, DeQuan Bailey Brown, and some of those other guys. So good to see Tim on on an early watch list. Patrick very high on him. Uh, yeah, you're right. And you know uh, we get the pleasure of talking to so many young people like Rashad Bird, and uh, yeah, doesn't it just kind of fill your heart with joy when you when you talk to these young people that. Came through the program here, gone on to enjoy such success in their life. Here's a guy coaching high school football with aspirations of of moving on to a college football. So well spoken, and uh, just speaks well of the of the program and, and what it's meant for so many people, Luke. Yeah, and and what you like about Rashad is so many times we do hear kids that come in from Florida and Texas and other places. This is a kid that that grew up, you know, uh, an, an hour, a little over an hour north of Hattiesburg. But as uh, to your point, uh, came and, and played uh, football where his family could watch him play and doesn't regret it, you know, even one second of it. So mm-hmm. awesome to see kids like Rashad being able to do that. Um, I, I made mention yesterday with the, the high school football season backed up until um, September 4th. So the first two weeks uh, are not being played. Uh, I was sad to to announce yesterday that probably the Brown Jug game would not have been played, and the the longest standing rivalry in the state would have stopped at ninety eight years. Well, good news yesterday, Bob. Uh, breaking yesterday afternoon, Laurel and Hattiesburg have rescheduled the August 29th contest. The ninety ninth battle for the Little Brown Jug will take place in the kickoff week, which will be week three. So I'm sure because I found out I have a job again with Super Talk, that you right. will send me out to cover that game no question. either on September 4th or 5th. 99 years, is that right? 99 straight years those two schools have played one another? World War II didn't even interrupt the Little is Brown. Is that not judgment. insane? And then, of course, obviously the next year would be massive. You'd have the centennial. It would be. That, that could be maybe the longest standing rivalry in the state. Is that is that a fact? It is. It is. Yeah, it's a fact. It is. And it used to be played on Thanksgiving Day. And what they would the people would hop on the train in Hattiesburg, come up here to Laurel, or hop on the train in Laurel, go to Hattiesburg. They play the JV game in the morning, 
everybody would take a break, eat Thanksgiving lunch, and then they would come back and play the varsity game in the afternoon. Now that's a great tradition right there. That's something they ought to continue. I don't know if do. I could play though. Yeah, if, if my if my pregame uh, meal was Thanksgiving lunch, I'd have been worthless about three thirty. That's that's really a great tradition. Well, we want to let everybody know, you know, we try to cover both sides of every issue on this show. There's there's not anybody associated with this program that doesn't want to see high school, junior college, college football. I mean, we all want to see uh, football, and I just want to make sure that uh, everyone that listens to us uh, does understand that. And nobody wants to see it any more than my man, Luke Johnson, who does play-by-play for both high schools and junior college, and uh I've gathered in, in uh, my friendship with you over the last several years, there's just really no place you'd rather be on a Thursday and Friday night in the fall than uh, at Jones College and and, uh, and wherever you're doing a high school game, Luke. Back in 2014, when you asked uh, Jim Taylor and I, I remember meeting you in your office in Hattiesburg, and you asked us to do that. I was like, this seems incredible, but how do you do it? And good old Lee Applewhite followed Jim and I and took us to Quitman. And we sat up there and shot the bull during a jamboree. And Lee was telling us, like, yeah, that's good. No, that's terrible. Don't ever say that ever again. And Jim and I grew into that. And I tell you what, it has become one of the most, in all the things that, that in my life and things I enjoy to do, it, it's towards the top of the list, man. There's very few things like Friday Night Lights and over the last few years, getting to enjoy Juco football in Mississippi. And I don't mind telling you, you do a great job. People that haven't listened to Luke Johnson, you ought to listen. He's a quite a uh, quite a polished play-by-play guy now. What, six years? Is that right? Yeah, six huh. years. Aren't you glad you got rehired yesterday, shortly after you were fired? See, Lauren's happy, too. <laughs> the mega bucks we make around here. All right. He was never fired, by the way, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Until then, Southern Miss. To the top. I want to fly like an eagle to the sea. I fly like an eagle. Let my spirit carry me. I want to fly like an eagle till I'm free. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.